A house is made of wood and stone, but only love can make a home. Welcome to the Repco Light Home Improvement Show, helping you make your home into one you'll love even more. On News Radio Wood 1300 and 1069 FM. Well, good morning, everybody. Happy Saturday. Haley. Happy Saturday. Happy Saturday. You've had a bit of a week, huh? Yeah. A lot going it's on. like oh. a new chapter opened up. Yeah. Haley's, <laughs> you know, we've talked about that in the past, about you're looking for a house. Mm-hmm. And, you know, basically that whole process. And we referenced, uh, basically, we called it a shark tank. Yeah, you know, right. That's what the housing market is right now. There's a little morsel of meat, a house in a tank, and a whole bunch of buyers, a whole bunch of sharks, all spinning around, swimming around, trying to get that one little piece of meat. And it's been insanely frustrating for you. Yeah, I'm a small shark, apparently. Yes, you're a, a little baby shark. Not, 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 baby. Oh, yeah. I don't remember how, how that goes. How did that go? I should, do, no, do, we do, shouldn't do, do that. Do, It'll do, get in my head. <laughs> It'll get in my head like a little earworm, and I won't get it out again. But anyway, you've been in that tank, and you actually took some time off. Yeah, I took a couple months off because I just, it's emotionally draining after right. a little while. And we got back into it because I saw this house. It's a fixer-upper. And it had been on the market for a while, so I thought, okay, well, maybe this is a less competitive opportunity. And I really like the location, and that's what they always say, you know, on Fixer Upper, best location, mm-hmm. worst house. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, it kind of led down a whole different path in terms of financing, because originally I was just getting a conventional mortgage, and I had asked right off the bat because I knew about renovation loans, and I knew that I'm a person that would probably want to buy a fixer-upper. However, at the time, uh, the company that I was working with wasn't super experienced with the renovation loans, and they just said, no, let's avoid those. You know, It's not really right for your situation. Sure. Uh, you can't do the work yourself, which that's true. But and then... yeah. Who saved the day? Actually, you did. Dan I did. saved the day Dan with Hansen. the Repcolite Home Improvement Show. Betsy Thompson, the Repcolite Home Improvement Show, the old school version. Mm-hmm. We saved the day. You right? Did. I played an interview from April of 2020 where Betsy and I interviewed Amanda and Jen from Stockton Mortgage about renovation loans. Yep. And that got, you know, it basically meshed with what you were thinking. Right. It was everything that I thought that I knew about them. Which is what? Had briefly. Been... Let people know what a renovation loan is briefly. So it essentially combines your home mortgage with a renovation budget. So the amount that you get for the loan is just, you know, one loan, but those two things are combined. So let's say I bought the house for $200,000 and there's $50,000 worth of renovation work. I get a loan for $250,000. So then at the end of that renovation, the home is then worth the 250 that they gave me the mortgage for, but the work is paid for. It's right. built in. They work that mortgage based off future equity yes. of the home once it's repaired. Exactly. There's a lot to say about it and we're only bringing it up now. Normally at the beginning of the show, we tease what's in the show for this week. Yeah. We are actually hoping to connect with Amanda next week for exactly. the show and we want to have an interview where we go over this because it is so it's so timely right now. People yes. are struggling to connect with homes and the homes that are out there and aren't always in the best of condition. And people don't always have a lot of experience with these different types of loans. Right. And that's what I ran into. Ton of information out there. It's so fascinating. It's it, basically it's consumed your non-work week, right? Yes. Just trying to <laughs> navigate this whole field. We'll get to that hopefully next week, if not the week after that. But stay tuned. You're going to want to clue into that. And if you know people who are in the market right now for a home, 
make sure they know about the Repco 800. In fact, they should already know. So regardless of this home loan business, <laughs> let them know about the show because we'll, we'll get them where they need to be. Yeah. But for sure, if they're in the process looking for a home, that renovation loan might be something they're interested in. Exactly. Next week, we'll have more information. Right now, let's get to basically a bunch of business that I want to clean up. Yeah. You know, there, there, there happens over the course of the time. I make a lot of promises you do on make the show. A lot, of a lot of plans to come back, and they're all well meant. Yeah. I mean to come back and revisit certain things, and then time happens, life happens. I forget. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm yeah. not flawless in my memory. That's I know that's going to come as a surprise to you, shocking. Um, yeah. um, Haley. Oh, funny. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that great? I go over that with the kids, and right now I always teased my grandma because she could never you know, get our name straight. Well, it's funny because Hannah said, one day you're going to remember. And I said, no, Hannah, it's only going to get worse. <laughs> I know. Haley was over working on a project last week. We talked about the fireplace project and all my kids were helping. And as we're doing that, I had to run through all the names, yeah. boys Daddy, included. Tessa. Who was <laughs> yeah, that? Before I got to the right one. Yeah, the memory's going. So anyway, let's clean up some of the business that I know I need to clean up. And the first thing is basically two months ago, mm-hmm. we really went hog wild, I would say, about Ego battery-powered yard equipment. We did. Right? I had three different yard tools specifically that I bought. I bought a string trimmer, a blower, and a hedge trimmer, all powered by batteries, Mm -hmm. 56-volt batteries. It was the Ego brand, and I loved it. I thought it was great, and I went on and on. As is my want. Yes. You did that so well that I even offered to come over and do yard work for you just so I could experience the magic. So you could experience them and you loved them as well. I did, yeah. They were great. And I promised that I would come back after a little bit of time and let you know how they've shaken out. Because, you know, we've all seen that. I've read reviews. You read reviews on Amazon. And the person loves it. They love whatever it is they're reviewing. Three months later, they come back. (laughs) Well, if they come back. But normally, you're reading the review and you realize, you know what? You've had this for six hours. Right. Three hours. And you're writing a review. I want to know how it plays out over time. And that's what I wanted to get back to everybody out there about this yard equipment. And if it doesn't pan out, I don't want my stamp right. of approval still exactly. on it. Well, turns out it pans out really well so far. Two months in, I have used this tons on the yard. Yeah, I mean, we've even used it on the deck when oh, yeah. we were doing that project, getting I ready to stain it. We use it everywhere, Haley. It was I blow things off that don't need to be blown off now, just because <laughs> I can. So anyway, the, the main things, battery life. How is that held up? That was one of my main concerns. Mm-hmm. I know I'm only two months in. But I am trying to be diligent and get you this update. The battery life has been great. I have you know, left the batteries in the, the pieces of equipment, and I can come back week after week, and they're still working just fine. Then I charge them for a little bit. We're back to good. I've had no problems with any of that. My old system, continually that was a problem, even when those batteries were new. Well, and then the other thing you said is that you've actually replaced the string on your trimmer. Yes, and it the, was really good. Yes. Uh, previous trimmers, I am just, that is where I've got an absolute mind block, trying to replace the string in the other string trimmers. I've struggled. I know how to do it. Yeah. It's just, well, I guess I don't. <laughs> I know where I'm supposed to put it, how it's supposed to go in, I think. But no matter what I do, I can get it in and then it won't unwind well. Right. I always struggle to get that. So it's so basically, once the factory you know wound string is out, I throw it and buy a new one. No, it just sits on the shelf and I don't know what to do with it. But this one, the string ran out and 
restringing it was super simple. There's a couple different versions. There's an even simpler version. Yeah. I didn't buy that one. I bought the more basic standard one for the but string even trimmer. But your system seemed really seamless. Really seamless, really easy. Basically, I just fed the string in both sides of the holes, pulled it till it was even. I had like eight and a half feet on each side. Mm -hmm. And then you just click it and rewind it. And it winds it all right back up. You don't have to take the whole thing apart. Yeah, it's so Super cool. simple. Love it. So all of those things are good about the ecosystem. The last thing I'll mention about it is that I'm using it. Yeah, that's the important part of all of this. If it's good enough that you're actually using the art equipment more, mm -hmm. I think that speaks volumes. Yeah, I would never get the string trimmers out on a regular basis mm -hmm. because I had to drag cords all over the yard. The, the gas-powered one I could never start. Yeah. And if I got it started, I could never keep it going. That was that problem. And with this one, I get it out all the time. I'm maintaining the yard better. The blower, I've blown off everything. Like I said, I was kind of making a joke, but it's kind of real. It's very real. Dad, could you put the blower down just for a minute? <laughs> Not yet. So easy, so convenient. Everything is working a little nicer at my house. The bushes are trimmed a little more regularly. Nice. All of it, really, really big thumbs up. Still love it. Eagle Yard Equipment, we've got links in the show notes to the original review, and yeah, we'd still recommend that. Now, one other one before we wrap it up. Yeah, because this is timely. You're going on vacation, and you have kind of a problem. I have a big problem. And uh, what would you call it? Is it OCD? You're a little bit OCD, yeah. A little bit OCD. What what happens? And it, it's honestly, it's a little funny, but it does drive me insane. Yeah. I will... Continually wonder if I did something. Did I turn the light off? Did I turn the oven off? Did I, you know? And then you check it a bunch of times. Right. So, like the studio, I leave the studio and I turn the lights off. Uh -huh. And then I think, did I turn the lights all off? I'll just hang my head back in. Well, yeah. in order, this makes no sense. In order to see, yeah. <laughs> I turn the light on. Because yeah. there's other things I want to make sure I didn't leave plugged in. Uh -huh. So I do that and I leave. And then I think, well, did I turn the lights off that time? <laughs> so I stick my head back in. <laughs> so terrible. And then I leave. And then I think, did you really pay attention, Dan? Or did you just look your head in? Oh, did you, do you, can you remember that the lights were off? And then I have to tell myself, no, I can't. So I go back in. Sometimes it's four or five times. It really drives me nuts. Or the oven at night. I have to count the offs on the stove. And if I have to count them several times to make sure there's five offs. Yeah. And then I know. That's a problem. It is a problem. It's not funny. It is funny. But it's not funny to yeah. live with all the time. So I'm throwing that out there. That's out there. But vacations are a problem. Really stressful because <laughs> I get part way away from the house and all these things play in my mind. Well, maybe a month or two ago, we mm -hmm. talked about some hacks for that we could use our phones for, our, yeah. the cameras on our phones. Taking pictures of the fridge before going grocery shopping and all of those things little things. Like and sadly, the one we forgot to cover was the whole thing that inspired it, which was this take a picture of things like my oven. Of things like the, the, you know, the faucets, the things that I get concerned about. The lights being off. <laughs> Take pictures of them. So I did that before I left on vacation. I took pictures as dumb as that sounds. And yes, I admit right off the bat, that sounds really crazy. But when I got further away and the normal nagging uh -huh. questions played out in my head, I could look back and see that these things were off. So if you struggle with even the slightest bit of OCD or whatever it is, or you just want to have peace of mind when you're on vacation. Yeah, my mom's totally going to do this now. Yeah, it worked for me. And yeah, I'd recommend it. And we were sad that we forgot to include that in that segment. So there we go. Cleaned it up. Business out of the way. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about something Haley's seen a little more and more on Instagram, painting mm -hmm. vinyl floors. Yeah. Looks cool. Is it everything it's cracked up to be? We'll find out. We'll get to that in just a minute. Stay tuned. 
helping you turn your house into your dream home. This is the Repco Light Home Improvement Show, presented by Benjamin Moore on News Radio Wood 1300 and 1069 FM. Well, Haley, let's talk about something that you've seen over and over on Pinterest, Instagram, mm-hmm. basically social media. Yeah. You're seeing this a fair All amount, right? Painted vinyl flooring. Exactly. The vinyl or like the old linoleum floors. My grandma still has old linoleum floors that have been there for, I, I don't know how long. It's been the same the entire time right. I've known her. And it's held up really well. But if I moved into the house, I would think I would like to change this. And I don't necessarily have the budget to do that. And I think a lot of people are in that situation. Right. And that's what we're seeing. We're seeing these posts on Instagram or whatever where people are. That's what we're assuming. They're making that jump mm-hmm. for budget reasons. Exactly. And the reason we're talking about it, because... Right now, I, I would honestly say I've not had a lot of questions about this. We are seeing more and more of it on these social media platforms, so we're addressing it for that reason. But largely because when you see something on social media, and we all do, we all see all these different projects, mm-hmm. and we see the finished results. Yeah. And a lot of the times we do see the work involved. What we rarely see are the year after exactly. I did this. You know, what does it look like a year later? Yeah. And we've always got to remember that when we're seeing these photos, these these amazingly, you know, pristine photos of these spaces, these are very, very staged. Yeah. Now that doesn't mean it's that not they're false. Real life necessarily. Right. It's really set up to make a great photo. Mm-hmm. So you see all these floors painted. And sometimes we tend to get the idea that let's jump into that project. It's a great way to go. That's going to fix my problem. Yeah, because it can look really nice. Right. I got a floor that I don't have a budget to replace. I hate the colors. I'm going to do this. And that will work. Yeah. But what we want to highlight here in this little bit that we've got is that there are limitations. And if you understand those limitations and set your expectations at the correct level. Right. Exactly. You're going to be fine. You're not going to be disappointed, but you could be disappointed if you're basing everything on these immaculate photos that you're seeing. Yeah, this is not a permanent fix. Right. It's a fix for now. It's a fix because you don't have the budget to replace floors and you're saving up so that you can do that soon. This paint is not really meant for this type of flooring. It's meant for wood and concrete. And yes, we can paint this floor with the right prep, but it's still not going to hold up the same as if we had painted wood or concrete. Right. It's not going to, by all means, not going to hold up as well as the vinyl wood uncoated. Yes. Right. Just the original vinyl will hold up way better if you can tolerate the look. And that's what we'd recommend. If you can tolerate the look, you're probably better off. You're going to have less maintenance. If you cannot tolerate the look, the color, whatever, if it's really dragging you down, Mm -hmm. there is a fix. And we want to make sure you've got the right steps to get the best results possible. And the big thing you've got to do is make sure the floor is really, really clean. Yeah, I would use a TSP substitute. It'll dull the finish a little bit. And we should clarify, too, that when we're talking about painting these floors, hopefully it's not a brand new vinyl or linoleum that's down because there's a lot of wear coats that they have on there that's going to prevent anything from sticking to it. We're talking about worn out floors that need a facelift. Right. So wash it really well. We'd recommend using a Scotch-Brite pad, one of those little green scrubbies. Mm -hmm. That will definitely help create a little bit of profile in that surface to give the paint something to bite into. Exactly. And once you've got that washed really well, and man, that's important. Think about all the things that your floors probably see. Kitchen and bathroom floors. I feel bad for them. Oh, man. I can only imagine what they've been a part of. (laughs) But you want to make sure you get as much of that off as possible and then let it dry really well. Anytime you're doing paint prep, it's got to be clean, dull, and dry. Sounds like me. (laughs) Doesn't it? 
Clean. Oh my gosh. Dull, dry. I'm not dull and dry. No. Definitely not dry. It's really hot in here right now. Anyway, make sure the floor is clean, dull, and dry, and then you go to your finish paint. There's no primer really to use. We'd recommend Benjamin Moore's Porch and Floor. It's available in a water-based and an oil-based version. Yeah, the water-based is going to be a low luster, and I think I'd prefer that look personally just Mm -hmm. because it's going to show a little bit less of the texture from that flooring because it will have some kind of you know stamp texture or imprint and that's going to show up a lot more once it's just a solid color yeah so the less sheen there the better for that reason but there is the oil option which is a high gloss as right well. now if there are seams in the flooring that also is going to definitely pop mm-hmm. when you put a solid <laughs> color on it you're going to see those seams a lot of the times they get hidden in the patterns they will become more apparent. Yeah. Now, in talking about all of this, I want to still make sure we go back and stress the fact that this is not one of those ideal long-term projects. This is a short-term fix. This is a superficial thing. Very, very superficial. It's a Band-Aid. Think about yeah. it that way. You are going to wear through it. You are going to notice wear patterns at pivot points and things in front of the sink, by the refrigerator. Where you cut things. Right. Especially where you cut things. Yeah, like chop things up. Oh, not like you lay on the floor and chop up the tomatoes. (laughs) You're saying when you stand. (laughs) I was thinking, wow, what kind of home is this that Haley comes Uh, from? Really wash those floors. really seen a lot. (laughs) Yeah, but like at my house, it'd be in front of the refrigerator. That's where the kids spend their time. Sure. You're going to see all of that. You're going to have to touch it up. You're going to have to repair it from time to time. And remember that too when you decide to put, you know, that first coat down and maybe you go back over it with a stencil pattern, you're going to have to do touch up. If you have a pattern down, make sure you keep that stencil because you might need to do some serious tedious touch up. Right, because you have seen a fair amount of stenciling and yes. that is a nicer look. Yeah, it looks like a tile then. But it definitely creates a little more intricacy mm-hmm. with the maintenance that will occur. Right. This is one of those projects that you can do. It will just get you, you know, a couple years or yeah. who knows what. It depends on the traffic of the room. You can't really predict. It depends on your prep work and all of that. Absolutely. It's not permanent. But it is something you can do if you need to adjust the color to get you another couple of years. If you have any questions, you can stop out at any Repco Light or Port City Paints. Chat with us online at RepcoLight.com. Absolutely. All right. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about touch-up painting. Right, we've all been a part of a, a bad touch-up. It's true. Right, you, yeah. You paint your wall, you touch up the little spots, and then you look down the hallway and you see what twenty-five little, little silver light, dollar yeah. size shiny spots. You stand in the hallway and you wonder what went wrong. Is it the paint? Is it my technique? It's a lot of those things. It's a lot. Of those <laughs> We're going to go over what went wrong and how to prevent it, so you get great results next time you have to do it. That's all coming up next. Stay tuned. If you want to take your DIY skills up a rung, the Repco Light Home Improvement Show is here to give you a boost on News Radio Wood 1300 and 1069 FM. Well, Haley, there's never a dull moment, is there? We nope. are in a hot little studio and we've got our, our one connection to sanity is our fan. Mm-hmm. And you have a little remote. I have for a it. little, a beautiful little remote that I love because I don't have to get out of my chair to turn the fan on. I just click, well, you know how remotes work. I don't have to go into Hopefully. a yeah. long story. But <laughs> in the break, I went to set my remote down. And you just went, bloop, right in your coffee cup. Right into my coffee cup. And then. Do I really even no, want to tell them what I did? You don't need to. Well, I probably need to now. Made, but Yeah, I, a mess okay. was made. I was shaking out the coffee, and then I opened it up to get the coffee out of the battery compartment. 
And for some reason... Your first instinct was, I'll just drink the coffee out of the battery section. I know, I know. (laughs) I wasn't thinking there was Chewies in there, the little gummies. I don't know why I do half of what I do. My children are embarrassed. You're embarrassed to even be a part of this. And now I've shared it with everybody. I'm just thinking, yeah, so many thoughts. All right, let's go on to the topic at hand. We've cleaned up the mess. Touch up paint. Touch up painting. We got a great question from a listener when we used to have listeners. Yeah. <laughs> we just lost a big chunk right now. But back when we had listeners, we had somebody email us about touch up paint. And the scenario that happened was this. She got a Benjamin Moore sample pint in yeah. her color. So the house was painted maybe four years ago. And she came in for touch up paint, didn't have any of the original, and got a sample pint in the color. Right? That does make some sense. I can sure. see where... Yeah, it's a small you know, amount of pain, would, yeah. and she knows the color, so it's Definitely fine. seems like a good solution. She went home to touch up the spots and was disappointed that everything showed. She wondered what went wrong and then how to fix it. Now, we're going to deal with the whole sample pint thing and why that didn't work in the second part of this segment. But right off the bat, there's a number of reasons why touch-ups can go poorly or stand out. And usually the failure is due to one or a combination of the following. Yeah, the first part is going to be application. If you've got a bunch of spots that need to be touched up on a single wall, even though it sounds like more work, it's honestly better to just paint corner to corner. There's way less of a chance that you're going to see any of those touch-up spots because our eye is not going to carry over the corner. There's already a color shift regardless, so it's not going to know that that's not exact. Right. We'd always recommend, you know, the ideal way to get your best results is to paint a larger area Mm -hmm. and find breaking points. Corner to corner is ideal. Now, not everybody wants to jump into that. We get that. But still look for bigger breaking points because, as Haley mentioned, our eye isn't going to carry all of those differences. And it will just blend away. Exactly. Looks better. You get better results. We all know what it looks like when you touch up the little silver dollar size spots on the wall and you see them. Well, Very frustrating. Yeah, people always think that, oh, I just have a small touch-up to do. It's going to be really easy. And it's actually the hardest touch-up to do are the really tiny ones. Yeah. So if you can do a bigger section, better results. Now, let's say you can't or you're not going to. The next thing you need to think about is that when you do this touch-up, you've got to use the same tool that the paint was originally applied with. Exactly. If you rolled paint onto the wall, you want to use that exact same roller, ideally, to roll on the touch-up, which doesn't sound like work that we want to do again, because now it's a whole thing. we got to get out a tray, and that's Great a mess. Great roller frame, yeah. roller covers, and that's where the Wooster Jumbo Coder system is a great system. You know, the whole Worcester roller system is a great way to go because if you buy the normal size roller covers, the nine inches, contractors will use the 18 inch covers. Worcester makes a jumbo coder, which is a small coder. Funny mm-hmm. name. I don't know why they yeah. went with that, but jumbo in this case actually means super little. Yeah, mini. So, yeah, a mini roller cover. And all of these mini roller covers, they've got a full range of them and they all match their larger counterparts. Exactly. And the fabric used, the nap used, all of it will match. So it will be flawless. You won't see the difference between the two. So it's a great system to use just for regular painting. If you have to get into tight corners, use this jumbo coder system in cooperation with the Worcester larger, you know, regular rollers. Right. And you're going to have no problems at all. You'll be able to switch back and forth and see no difference. And if you don't know what kind of roller cover you use, you know, just use a roller cover that's appropriate for the job. The worst thing you could do, though, is use a brush on a wall that was rolled out because that texture from the brush is going to make the paint look like a different color. That texture is going to reflect in a different way. And it's amazing how much of a difference that makes. Right. So use the same tool and keep those jumbo coders in mind. 
Now, let's say that you've got a super small spot. And you don't even want to get a jumbo coater out to roll that area. Like, you know, the whole like from... tiny little nail hole. Exactly that. What do you do? Well, there's a great system that I ran into. Somebody shared that with me. Somebody who's been in paint for years said one of the things they would always recommend to their customers is to get a Q-tip. And basically, you just get the paint on the end of the Q-tip and use it as a little tiny mini roller. It's like a roller for Barbies. It is. And it really <laughs> works well. It gives enough of the simulation of that texture. Yeah. To have it blend away, I've tried it a bunch of times. Works really well. Really nice for super simple, quick touch-ups. Yeah, it's smart. All right, so make sure you're applying with the right tool. The third thing that you want to do is apply light coats and feather them all out. Don't try to make a single application cover and hide. Your paint's right. going to be too thick. It could be too shiny in that regard. It could even run down the wall a little bit. Well, and when we say feather it out, we mean you're applying less and less paint to blend with the rest of the wall. So as you work out from that single spot... It's just getting less paint the further you go out. Yeah, you carry it out a ways, but there's so little paint there that it will eventually blend away. Yep. The fourth thing when it comes to application is to be patient. You know, paint changes as it dries. Yeah, wet paint is not going to match your wall. So don't rush into a store because you just applied touch-up and it doesn't match. I've had people do that. Mm -hmm. I've almost been that person, but I told myself, no, it's going to darken over time. And yeah, you don't want to rush out, get new paint come back home and find that what you had blended right in. Give it time, let it dry. All right, so those are application issues. When it comes to touch-up, if you do those things, you're going to get the best results possible. Now, another reason touch-ups go awry is that we use the wrong paint. We've got to get the exact paint that we had in the same finish and the same exact color to make this work. Exactly, which is why the sample pint did not work for that touch-up, because you did not paint your walls with a sample pint. You painted it, let's say, with the Benjamin Moore's Regal Select in eggshell. And so the sample pint is an eggshell, so it seems like it would work, but actually paint is going to vary in sheen from product to product line. Even though they both say eggshell, it's not the exact same eggshell. Right, and that sheen variance may not sound like a big deal, but it really is. If it's a little bit flatter, if it's a little bit shinier on the walls, when we view it at an angle, that color is potentially going to look very different. Exactly. And then, of course, sheen dies a little bit over time, too, which makes it really hard when you're touching up paint that's extremely old because it's flattened out. And so now, even if you go down to the basement and you get the original paint out of the original can, it might look slightly shinier when you repaint because it's been aged for so long. Well, and color changes as it sits on the walls. Right. You know, our room depends on how it's used, but normally... You know, it's going to pick up surface contaminants. The color is going to be dulled a little bit, darkened a little bit over time. And so new paint can be shinier. It can be a little lighter in color, even if it all comes, like you said, from the original can. So with all of that said, how in the world do you get good results with touch-ups? Well, first, that's where that corner-to-corner -corner thing that we mentioned in the very beginning mm -hmm. really comes out and helps a lot. If you go corner-to-corner, -corner, even if the color is slightly different, even if the sheen is a little different, you're not going to see it. Secondly, keep good notes. Yeah, my grandpa left really great paint notes in the basement. He labeled every can with the date that he bought it, the color that was used. All of the information was right there on the can, and it said where it went in the house because paints may look really similar and it's not exactly the same color. Oh, and there's nothing more sad. <laughs> I can speak from experience than getting something that looks like your trim color in mm -hmm. your dining room, but it turns out it was from another room and that they're both a little different. I did that. I didn't find it out till the next day. 
when I really assessed it after it dried. So label it really well. Sometimes people will make note cards if you go that route, if that's the way you like to go. Ask in the store and we can print an extra sticker for you with all of the pertinent information and get that on there. Sometimes now people will take photos. Yeah, and people sometimes will take pictures of the lid of the can, which doesn't actually have as much information as you think it does for us. So we prefer, again, ask what information we need so that you're taking a picture of the right part of the can so that we have the information later on when you come in that you're not frustrated. Exactly. Third, if the original paint isn't a close match anymore, which is possible, we can always custom match something. Be aware of that. But the big thing to remember here is that we need to see something in order to match it. And sometimes this means you've got to get creative. You've got to look for face plates, vent covers, anything with the paint on it that can be easily removed and brought in. Exactly. I've had people remove entire strips of trim into the store because, I mean, we just need a target. And it's doesn't have to be giant. Just a quarter size really is all we need to get a match of that paint. But the bigger the sample, the better. Right. So by all means, if you're stuck in that situation, give us a call ahead of time and we can kind of walk you through what's the best way to help you get your color. Touch-ups can be pulled off and we're not trying to make it sound like the impossible dream. Yeah. It certainly can be done. <laughs> it's just you've got to know a few things going in in order to get those great results. Exactly. Now, all right, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about stud finders. We ran a couple different models through the paces, and we've got some stuff to report. That's all coming up just ahead. Stick around. If you want to take your DIY skills up a rung, the Repco Light Home Improvement Show is here to give you a boost on News Radio Wood 1300 and 1069 FM. And we're back, and we're going to talk about stud finders. It's something that we basically decided we were going to do this topic, what, a couple weeks ago? Mm-hmm. When we, did we a, had talked about the drywall anchors. Yes, the drywall anchor segment. Because we had differing opinions we on did. what you would use in your own home. Right. I don't particularly like to use drywall anchors a lot. I didn't in the past. My experience was poor. Haley's had way different experiences, and she kind of swung me well, over I a little bit. I converted you. You converted yeah, me. Yeah, because we've seen some videos now, and yep. there's really good proof out there that they do work when you get the right ones. Right. So we talked about those, <clears throat> and then we mentioned, though, that we need to come back and talk about how to find studs when you don't mind where, where something needs to go, or when you've got something so heavy that you do need to mount it into the studs. And before we get into uh, the stud finders, I have to confess... <laughs> But um, (gasps) last night I came home and there were books on the floor. Oh my goodness. And just to give people a little bit of background, I had hung bookshelves on my wall (laughs) with drywall anchors. And that's what caused the The whole whole argument argument about using a stud versus a drywall anchor. You were throwing pictures in my face. I did. And they've been up for a year and a half. And they just fell down? (laughs) Oh my goodness. I don't. I didn't even want to tell you because... I don't blame you. I can't you're believe not you're telling right. me now. <laughs> I am right. They are concerning sometimes. Sometimes. Okay. So tell me about this. Why did it fail? What did you use? I thought that I had used the drywall anchors that we had talked about. The ones that are the plastic, they screw in, okay, the they're self-tapping, self-tapping ones. and All they right. have the expansion on the backside. Okay. Because I've used those with really good success before. Yes. I've hung these same bookshelves up and never had them come off the wall when I used those. But this time they failed? Because I found out that I didn't actually use those on the second shelf. Oh, you have multiple shelves? Yeah. 
One Shelf probably has them. Mm-hmm. That's the one that did not come off the wall. What was on the one that fell down? Uh, wall dogs. And those are like a screw anchor combination. So really... I'm still wrong. Drywall anchors work, but I cheaped out, which is exactly what happens with anchors. We use the wrong ones. We don't spend the money on buying toggle anchors, which is what I really should be using for something that heavy. Right. But I just couldn't believe that I had come home. I can't believe it either, but it is And this came out of the wall. I can't believe you came and told me on air. I love that. I really wasn't going to tell you. Uh, But it is. It really does drive home the point of that whole segment. That whole segment was that the failures generally come from using the wrong anchor in the wrong situation. And that's exactly what you are saying you did. You used the wrong ones. You cheaped out. And we did mention in that segment that if you're going to hang anything that's of significant weight, Mm -hmm. you definitely want to go to the toggle anchors. Those are the ones that are going to hold much more weight more easily. Yeah. But we did want to clarify even after that, that finding a stud is still going to be the best bet. And honestly, now that's probably what I'm going to have to do because I've already got holes where I wanted those things to be. And now the drywall is compromised there and I'm going to have to find a stud. So it's a good thing that we're talking about stud finders. Right. So we're back to... Thank you for clearing that up. That was... I'm a big person. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> and now my head's a little bigger. So Great, yeah. yeah there's probably not enough room in the studio so for us. So happy I told you. <laughs> yeah, I'm very pleased. I will not let you forget that. But let's go to stud finders because my experience with stud finders has been kind of a love-hate thing. I love the concept of them. And I've generally hated the application. Now, I admit right off the bat here, for people who use them on a regular basis, mm-hmm. I am probably using it in the wrong Manner. Yeah, because we even found out if you have your hand in the wrong spot exactly. when you're using it, it sets off the sensor. So I'm sure that we've used them wrong. Right, exactly. But I have used them in the past. I have had success and I have had a lot of frustration. All right. So we thought, let's dig into it. There's got to be enough people use these. Right. Let's break through and figure out exactly what I'm doing wrong. And maybe we can find a best one to recommend. And I don't know that we did that, but we did find something kind of interesting. Now, we basically tested a couple of them. The first one that I want to talk about is your basic stud finder. It's a medium price range. It was priced out in the $30 range. Mm -hmm. It's a Zircon Stud Sensor 70. It looks like a little remote control, basically. And it will detect studs, wood and metal. It'll detect live wires, things like that. And the thing about this one, and all of them like this, you know, that look like the little remote controls, The big trick is you've got, it's not really a trick, but the thing is you've got to calibrate them. Yeah, and I struggled with this when I first picked it up. I probably should have read the directions, but it's not intuitive to me. No, well, and the thing is you've got to put it over a hollow space on your wall, Mm -hmm. hit the trigger, and let it calibrate. It only takes a second. And then once it beeps, it tells you it's ready, and then you can go and it will find studs quite accurately. We were very impressed with yes. the accuracy of it. The trick is getting it calibrated correctly. Right. And it sounds so stupid, but you've got to put it over a hollow spot. And the thing is, you you don't that's, know where the studs that's are. That's the whole point. You're right. looking for a stud. <laughs> and the thing is, that's what happens. You put it over something that's partially a stud. You know, or you're a just wire. Guessing. Or, right. Yeah. And it, it can't calibrate. And you start and it detects everything. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that happens, like Haley said, is if you put your hands in the wrong spot. We watched a couple of reviews on YouTube after we did our own, and a number of the comments, you know, as somebody was saying that this one didn't work well, a lot of the comments were, no, you've got your hands in the wrong spot. Mm. It was a little bit tricky. You know, once we got it figured out, it did a really good job. But there was something, 
that was a little more interesting, and it's it's been all over the internet for the last couple of years. Yeah. Ever since it came out, Franklin Sensors made a stud finder, a stud sensor, 710. You know, they've got a number of different models. The one that we got our hands on was the 710, and it's a very unique looking right. stud finder. It doesn't it's, look like other ones because right. it runs horizontal, mm-hmm. so... It's about what would you seven say? inches like, long. Okay, seven inches long, and it's got thirteen lights at the top that run across it, and each of those lights is connected to its own sensor. And so, when you're running it over the wall, you don't have to calibrate it. Yeah, you which put is it the beautiful part. Straight on the wall, hit the trigger, and, and you're ready to go. You're just running it across the wall, and you can see as you pass the studs because there's three lights that'll move across those thirteen, and. It's like you're doing an x-ray almost. It almost feels like that. You really feel like you're getting a sense for what's behind the wall. Yeah. It's really, really straightforward. And that would be the thing that I'd say most, that I most liked about it. You can put it on the wall, hit the trigger, and you're already going. The fact that it's so wide Mm -hmm. means you're able to see multiple studs at the same time if they're closer together, you know, around doorways and stuff. It will give you a very clear idea of what's going on behind the wall. It's really great if you're looking for a very simple, easy to use Stud finder. Right. Is it perfect? No. No. It will give some funky readings from time to time. It doesn't do terribly well with plaster, especially the the more textured that it is. Yeah. I've got multiple of those surfaces in the house. I've got smooth plaster, and it did fine on that. The really textured plaster that I had in another living room, Mm -hmm. it struggled with a little bit. But so did the other one. They say that they're not really recommended for those surfaces, so it makes sense that it doesn't do great on them. But I think the other thing that... I find troubling is that it'll light up when you go over like a wire, but it can't tell you that that's a wire. So you could go over something that's not a stud and you think it's a stud. Well, right. And that's where the other one will at least tell you that it's uh, a live wire. Hopefully. That's yes. the problem with those. Yeah, because it's really hit or miss. Right. They're not perfect. We tested it in areas where we knew we had wires, mm-hmm. and sometimes we got a hit, sometimes we didn't. What good does that really do you? Right, exactly. So you're really not confident. To me, I like the Franklin one better just because it gave me a quicker picture. I could put it on the wall, hit the trigger, see what's going on, yeah. make my decisions from that. Super simple. We didn't struggle to get no. it calibrated or anything like that. The big thing with any of these stud finders is you've got to do your due diligence, measure between the marks that you make, make sure it's 16 inch on center for most residential construction, and you'll get a feel for what's going on in the wall. None of them are perfect, but that Franklin one was probably the easiest to use of all that we found. Oh yeah, by far. Definitely something to check out. We'll put some pictures in the show notes and then some links to those videos that we saw. Yes, absolutely. Where you can see how they work and see how those lights light up as you slide it across the wall. I think that's my favorite part of the whole thing. That's the money move (laughs) of that particular stud sensor. Anyway, that's all the time we've got. We're going to have to wrap it up. If you want to catch this episode again, you can find it online at repcolite.com. Check out the show notes. Check out other episodes. And subscribe to the podcast, of course. Absolutely. Never miss an episode that way. Never miss an episode. You'll never be disappointed. You don't have to wake up early. Right. All of those things. It's the perfect way to go. Subscribe. Anyway, whatever you do today, make sure your paint's a part of it. The Repco Light and Port City Paint Stores are open until 3, waiting to help. I'm Dan Hansen. And I'm Haley Johnson. Thanks for listening.